0: The Washington Capitals are the 2018 Stanley Cup champions!
1: It's not a dream! It's not a desert mirage! It's Lord Stanley, and he is coming to Washington! welcome back to japers drink radio i'm your host greg young and today uh i have a special guest uh someone who i was very excited to have on because i just was at uh a conference that she helped host uh so uh this is uh, uh gonna intro uh, allison Lu- uh, lucan here um she is the uh Col- she's a uh, columbus-based writer for the athletic where she uh, focuses on the blue jackets uh yeah and uh, how allison how are you doing today
0: I'm great. I'm very happy that the conference weekend is over and yes. that it was a success.
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was, it was great. I mean, uh, I guess to kind of just get started, what what kind of led you to want to want to want to organize one of these things?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, I uh, my entry into hockey analytics was actually through um, one of the very first uh, hockey analytics conferences that happened in Pittsburgh. Now, gosh, over five years ago, hosted by Andrew Thomas and Sam Ventura. And it was really kind of a place to learn about this field uh, when it was just really catching on and connect with others in the community. So I've started attending them all over North America since then. And Josh Flynn, who is the assistant GM of the Columbus Blue Jackets and heads up uh, most of their analytical efforts. And I had been kind of tossing the idea around for a while. And we kind of hit critical mass this year when we were finally able to say, let's give it a go. And so that's exactly what we did. <laughs>
1: yeah. So was it, so was it like, obviously the, uh, well, not obviously, but the uh, the conference was actually at Nationwide Arena. Uh, so how much was it kind of, you know, you with the blue, like how much was it the Blue Jackets? Like kind of how did that kind of organizing go and everything?
0: For sure. A huge shout out to the Blue Jackets organization. Um, so many of these hacks um, as they're called around the nation are, Volunteer led, and it includes finding space often as affordably as possible, perhaps at a university or something like that. So, the fact that we had the organization behind us willing to donate space, willing to provide AV and streaming support, um, that was awesome. It was such a big, big help to us. And then, of course, we had um, staff members and general manager Jarmo Kekalainen came and made some opening remarks, support through and through like that. And, of course, the planning effort was. Was joint with each of us kind of taking on our own parts uh, with me and Josh Flynn, and then um, the data analyst for the Blue Jackets, Zach Urback, as well. So, yeah. uh, th- having the team behind it was was just a massive, massive thing to have and and so key and so important. We really appreciate it.
1: No, absolutely. Okay. So, transitioning a bit to the conference itself. Um I'm going to start with a really broad question and I'm sure you're going to take it a bunch of different ways, but I'm kind of curious. In terms of like an overall theme, was there anything that really like kind of was maybe like a recurring theme or anything that really struck you during the conference hearing what I think was wow, like 15 or so different speakers was there. (laughs) Obviously they're going to be talking about different things and they very much did. Was there any threads you noticed kind of between them that was interesting to you? Yeah,
0: we, we actually tried our very best to kind of put together mini blocks um, because we had topics all over the place. So when we put together our agenda um, we tried to start first with some basic theory, um, some overall analytics theory. And from there we had kind of a block of talks talking about transitional play then we did a block of talks talking about prospects and prospect evaluation. We had a block of talks about special teams, and we had a block of talks about communication as well. So, um, because there were so many different things to speak about, we tried to create those themes um, within the presentations themselves.
1: Perfect. Now that, that was that was good. I think it I think it led to a very kind of coherent conference. Um, one thing that was kind of striking, though, and uh, I have Hannah Stewart's. Uh, uh slide of uh we don't know i forget exactly but we don't know a lot basically and that was one thing i thought that was was kind of striking is that there's it seems like there's a lot of kind of avenues for future research so and there was a lot of emphasis that you know i think there was one the one of the panelists and one of the things said uh you know the kind of information we're getting out of the you know nba is just you know miles ahead still of where we are in hockey obviously that's going to change a little bit with player tracking but uh I don't know. It it seemed a little interesting that for as much talk as there was about things that we know, there was just as much talk about kind of future areas for, uh, for, for improvement, huh?
0: Yeah. And I think that that's such a great point that you bring that up. I think that it's easy for people who maybe aren't as familiar with analytics to be fearful that this analytics community is trying to come from on high with numbers and say, this is the reality of the world. (laughs) And, um, I, I think it's like any field and I think it is such a key, um, component of good work, honestly, is to say, this is what we think we know. But there's so much we don't know. And you're right. Hockey, of, of the major sports around the world, hockey is arguably the farthest behind in terms of compared to soccer, to the NFL, to the NBA. Um, so they have a lot of work to do. And I think that it's so key that we say to ourselves, we've done good work. There's a core set of things that we think we know, but we can always know more. And that's I thought Hannah's presentation was so important for that very reason, is to acknowledge There's good work, but it's not the absolute work yet. We're not there yet.
1: Yeah, and I think what was interesting, too, is one of the first panels was kind of—there was a lot of discussion about the uh, NHL compared to other leagues and other sports in terms of how they're tracking and analyzing information. I know that uh, uh, you—there were a couple of NBA-specific people that were kind of sprinkled throughout the conference, and so— Going forward, you know, with what you're, you know, how you cover hockey, is there any kind of lessons you think that we could learn from other sports and how they kind of process and track information? And if if so, what do you think those lessons are?
0: Yeah, it's a great question, and I think you know I'll give a, a shout out to organizations like Colorado, um, owned by Cronky Sports. You know that that group owns a couple different teams um, out there, and so for a while their analytics groups were able to collaborate together. Um, and find Mm -hmm. ideas that can extrapolate. And you'll even see some of the events that used to be purely hockey analytics conferences have transitioned to sports analytic conferences because we can learn from other sports, whether it's an approach that works, whether it's a kind of strategy to think about, whether it's a way to mathematically approach the kind of problem that we see in sports. I think there's so many avenues to learn from other other areas, I, I tend to focus purely yeah. on hockey, um, but I'm lucky that at the athletic, I have colleagues who do, you know, work in covering the other sports, and so we do talk. We say, hey, you know, football's doing this cool thing. Have you guys thought about that? And vice versa.
1: Yeah, no, I think, I think it's I think it's very interesting. And one of the things that was a recurring theme throughout the, uh, it, I think it's just a recurring theme throughout a lot of kind of the buzz around hockey right now is going to be player tracking, and it's something mm-hmm. that I think was a differently kind of a interesting, you know, topic, because there's a lot that we don't know about how, you know, this information is going to be gathered, what we're going to know right away and everything like that. So I guess kind of just let's we'll talk about player tracking for a little bit here. Um, how are you kind of, what are you expecting from player tracking? Is Or do you just not know at this point what we're going to be getting?
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, it, I think it really is mostly the latter. and We were so fortunate that Andrew Thomas, who works for SMT, which is the company that's going to be handling all of that player tracking data for the NHL was able to join us. He was on the, the Q&A panel that we had. But I, I think a key thing that's important for people like us to remember yeah. is that we still don't know if any of that data is going to be public. Yep. We know it's going to get to the teams, but we have no idea if, if we'll even see it. So while the advances for teams could start to become significant, publicly we may be on the same path, the same trajectory that we were, at, if there was no tracking data. But I think it's going to, for me personally, what's going to be really interesting to watch is how teams set up to handle this massive amount of data in terms of actual people, yep. data analysts, people who know how to work with data. And then it's going to be about asking the right questions. You know, I make the joke all the time when we've seen demos of the tracking data, like at All-Star Games and things like that, like, okay, I can see how fast a player is going, but does it matter? Like, great, congratulations, you're fast, but does that really matter? And I'm not saying it doesn't. I'm saying we just don't know that yet. Um, To me right now, there are other questions that I personally would want to have answered. And so I think it's going to be very interesting to watch how teams operate against what is literally going to be an avalanche of information coming their way.
1: Yeah. And I think it's, I think it's interesting too, because you you talk about asking the kind of right questions and, you know, you think about uh, at least for baseball at first, you know, a lot of the information was particularly the way it was presented to fans was kind of, well, this is how far the home run went, And this was the exit velocity and everything like that. And, you know, on one hand, that's cool. Right. It's, it's, I I feel, I feel good that I know that, but You know, how exactly that impacts play, I think, is a different and, I think, for me, at least, far more interesting question to kind of think about going forward.
0: Exactly. And I think that, you know, it's – and listen, there's no harm in saying I think something's cool and and investigating that. But it is if we – you know, at the core of analytics, our goal for people who are interested in it, and not everyone has to be, but for people who are interested in it, what information can help us better predict outcomes, talent levels, performance, and obviously overall win games. So, It is going to be about discerning the cool (laughs) from the meaningful. (laughs) They may not always be the same thing.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, like, like uh, kind of like you said, you know, the cool is, I mean, look, not every fan and nor should every fan try to be, you know, a hockey analyst, right? It's okay to just go, wow, that, you know, that uh, John Carlson or, you know, Seth Jones slapshot was really fast, you know, that's, That's that's awesome. But yeah, you know, in terms of how that's going to be broken down, you know, and be kind of compartmentalized and used is going to kind of be an open question and another question that I know that one of the presenters, I think, David, you talked about, is passing data. And Mm -hmm. this has a special place in the heart for Capitals fans. And uh, (laughs) it's a question I'll get to later because a lot of Capitals fans' pet theories is that the expected goals models sometimes undervalue Capitals because they do a lot of cross-size passes. And it's something Mm -hmm. that, you know, that's a, a pet theory. It's not one I actually necessarily share, but it's something that, you know, a lot of fans have talked about. So in terms of passing, you know, kind of... Are you expecting us to make leaps forward in terms of passing, and is that kind of another frontier that you're looking to explore maybe a little bit more?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm honestly with Capitals fans and any fan, quite frankly, who thinks that there's misunderstanding maybe or lack of understanding on the impact of passes – now I will say that Alex Novet who presented at this year's conference in Columbus he did some work at HockeyGraphs over the summer where he did try and incorporate some passing data against existing expected goal models and while there was an impact it wasn't huge yeah. um so that's a caveat but I do think that we don't understand enough what passing means um obviously as as you hinted at we know that right now public models don't incorporate pre-shot movement. And that's so key because we know that challenges a goaltender to move. We know that that asks a different talent set of the players on the ice. So I think what's going to be important to understand is how much does passing impact goaltender movement? How much passing is too much passing? Are there key passing sequences that are more dangerous? What really is the impact of passing from behind the net where the goaltender can't see where the puck is coming from? Yeah. I mean, there's there's a list of things to understand. And th- this area, it's a perfect example, however, of saying what matters and, and what are we just asking? And I think, to be honest, we're going to find a lot of things that we ask and find out, oh, I guess it didn't matter after all. Yep. But that's just <laughs> as important, you know, Absolutely. just as important.
1: Uh, so I, I know another kind of the next frontier that a lot of people in the analytics movement, including me, have been talking about is how to measure goaltending. And yes. one of, the, I think, the most interesting presentations was uh, Cole Anderson's, which mm-hmm. has a bit of a wonky title, but I think had a lot of really interesting <laughs> stuff. Uh, specifically, his talk was a spatiotemporal analysis of goaltender positioning and strategies in professional hockey. And I know maybe what six of those words mean, but, um, but one of the things right. that... Um, I think what was interesting about what he said is it kind of uh, tied a little bit to pre-shot movement, you know, and basically Absolutely. saying how a goalie moves is going to, you know, affect, we should judge, you know, the expected goals that a goalie would give up based on the that exact kind of, you know, pre-shot movement that you would expect. So I don't know, what did you kind of find interesting about Cole's presentation and kind of where do you see the future of goaltender analytics kind of going at this point?
0: Yeah, I was super jazzed that Cole came because, as I said at the conference, I think that goaltending is probably the most neglected area of work in terms of analytics. We, we claim we don't understand goaltending, so we just kind of put it over there in a box yeah. <laughs> and don't pay much attention to it. And I think that you know, what Cole highlighted is that we, we really owe it to ourselves to understand even just the building blocks of goaltending, positioning, angles, where you play in the net, yeah. How you make your reads. And all of these things are very interesting challenges to quote unquote measure, right? Because obviously how a player makes a read isn't something you can like put a chip in somewhere and figure out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but but I do, I liked, you know, where he was going with saying, what is the proper amount of credit or blame that we account to a goaltender for yep. a save or a goal a goal against? And he was doing some really cool stuff with saying if a player is here, we should expect the goaltender to be there. And if they're not, then the expected goal value against is on the goaltender, particularly yeah. if it goes in the net. Um, and I think that this could be, even above and beyond the public domain, I think this could be really, really cool for teams in terms of how they develop their players, how they challenge their players to prepare for being in net against opponents, Um It's the least we understand. So it's probably one of the things I'm most excited about because even the beginning steps are just going to be super cool.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, one thing that, you know, I was asked about, and I think it's kind of an interesting question to kind of broaden the scope of, you know, what we think about hockey analytics a little bit is one of the things that baseball fans have kind of critiqued is sometimes the analytics movement maybe in baseball didn't, hasn't led to the most. You know, watchable product at times. You know, you look at kind mm-hmm. of with baseball the three true outcomes. You know, a lot of less balls in uh, in the field and everything like that. NBA, the example seems to that everyone seems to give is James Harden, who you know yeah. might not be the most watchable player, but you know is probably the most efficient. But one of the things that I think has been striking about you know some of the theories that the analytics movement has kind of had is that I think is that, you know, shots and producing offense, you know, is a really valuable skill and having, you know, just a ton of block shots and, you know, slow grinding play isn't something that, you know, is necessarily a path forward for all teams. So, you know, I think the idea being that, the hockey analytics movement has actually maybe led to a more watchable product. So you've kind of seen this analytics movement develop as, you know, someone who's been covering hockey for a bit. Do you think it's leading to a more appealing product and maybe a way that baseball and uh, the NBA maybe isn't as much?
0: <laughs> One could argue that replay is doing less for watchability yeah. of the NHL <laughs> than analytics. That is, oh, no, yes.
1: <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't get me started on offside replay. <laughs> exactly.
0: Exactly. Yeah. No, you know, it's. It, I think that your examples are spot on because if you look at some of the theories that analytics have preached, if you will, for some time, it's about positionless hockey. Yeah. It's about an active defense. I mean, we look at these defensive cores. The big, hulking defenseman brute in the back end is is really not a thing anymore. It's yeah. it's a different kind of defense that we're seeing in terms of teams that are successful in the league. So. I agree in that I think that analytics, if anything, are going to be focused on how do we create offense better, um, as opposed to maybe some of the different takes that we see in basketball.
1: Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. Um all right. This is a capitals podcast, so I have to ask yes. a capitals and analytics question because I just okay. I have to do it. And, you know, we've there's been, you know, some thoughts and actually this year a capitals team maybe isn't the best example because expected goals wise we're actually decent the capitals are decently above water you know i think they're in like the 52 percentile range or anything like that but you know in years past there's been some talk about you know do analytics models cap- capture what the capitals do effectively or is the capitals kind of game breaking talent you know gonna lead to just higher shooting percentages and you know I, I think there's decent arguments to be had on both sides of it. But I'm kind of curious as someone who definitely you watch, I'm sure, a decent amount of Capitals hockey being a reporter for, you know, a team in the Metro. So you, you've seen the Capitals play and you've seen other teams play. Do, do you think there's validity to that theory? Kind of where are you on the, you know, our analytics, you know, which I, I hate using that term because analytics is a lot of different things, you know, but right, do right. certain analytics models maybe fail to capture some things that the Capitals are doing?
0: Yeah, I think that last part you said is the key. And I say this all the time about analytics, quite frankly, in any sport or any point of analysis. What are you trying to evaluate, right? So if we're trying to evaluate a team, we might be asking different questions than if we're evaluating a player or if we're evaluating a game plan or something like that. And if we're evaluating a game um, either at the player or team level versus a season. So, you know, it's interesting to me because obviously I, I have watched the Capitals quite a bit. Um, it, think back to the very Trotz years where the idea was quality over quantity. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. We I just did an article with Shayna Goldman at The Athletic where we kind of looked at um, player value using a model that Dom Lushishin developed yep. and how does that compare to a team being a contender. And Washington the players actually rated out lower than most contenders yet it's yep. kind of the sum of their parts put them in that contender status so do i think that we can ask better questions and have better answers absolutely when i look at the capitals you know just quickly i see that they're in the top 6 in terms of shot quality and that to me is a is a huge indicator of possible success um, obviously, you know the Caps have struggled in in net this year. To be yeah. honest, just ask my fantasy team. But, yeah. um, are you wait, know, are I, you
1: an owner of Braden or uh, do you do you have Braden Hope on the team?
0: I used to. Ooh,
1: yeah, <laughs> it's been tough. <laughs> yeah.
0: So you know, it's that's a good sign of success. Now on the flip, they are allowing quite a bit of quality against, so yeah. that kind of hurts them a little bit more. They're 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 eighth in terms of that measure and five-on-five play. So, yeah, do I think the Capitals are a team that gets by on their offensive talent and historically, at the very least, really good goaltending? Yes, but again, that's okay if that's the formula that works for them. Columbus doesn't. Columbus is riding defensive play and goaltending. So it's all about finding the pieces that fit the system, the system that fits the pieces, and then excelling in executing that whatever it is.
1: Yeah. Okay. Uh, one more question, and then we're going to take a break. Uh, then after the break, we're going to talk about the jackets um, because you know I live in Columbus now, so I guess I, I I'm exposed to more of it than uh, than I used to, and I think they're an interesting team this year. But I guess kind of to wrap up this discussion about the the conference and everything like that is is there a certain kind of, what do you think we can kind of do better going forward? You know, is there, what do you, if we're having a conference next year, for instance, Mm -hmm. you know, what are you kind of expecting to be, wow, you know, there's been a lot of developments in X, or, you know, is there any, you know, you're expecting more kind of focus in a certain area, kind of where, where, what do you think the next steps are?
0: It's a great question. I think that um, what comes to mind first is, of course, goaltending, like yeah. I mentioned. Um, I'd love to see more work done in special teams, um particularly the power play. Yeah. I, I almost feel like if everyone's doing the one three one, like isn't it time for some innovation there? Isn't there isn't it doesn't yeah. it feel like there's time to do something different there? Um, I'd also like to see, and, and some conferences have been better at this in terms of what gets submitted to present. I'd love to see more talk. We had a little bit of it in Columbus, but, how do we look at other leagues? How do we look at women's play? How yeah. do we look at NCAA and, and CHL play? Because I think that it, you know, for those of us who are really hardcore into, those, into the game, understanding the other games matters, and particularly talent evaluation, the junior leagues and the lower the quote-unquote lower leagues, understanding that transition is huge when you really think about building a sustainable team for a long time.
1: Yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good wrap. And I'm excited to uh, kind of go to wherever the next conference is. Uh, I know that uh, this was actually the second one I went to it th- was at the Rochester one uh, yeah, a couple of years yeah. ago, which was fun. I, it, was a, it was a good kind of intro to it. Um, all right. So with that, we're going to take a quick break. And uh, on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit about the uh, jackets and the uh, Metro at large. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Japers Rank Radio. Still joined here with Allison. And uh, Allison, let's talk about the Blue Jackets uh, because they are fascinating this year. Uh, I think it's now every single major player except for, like, what, two or three at this point has had some kind of injury or, (laughs) you know, because before the last couple of days, you would say, well, the one stable part of that team was Seth Jones. And uh, now Seth Jones is out for, what, eight to ten weeks, I think, with an ankle injury. So... Well, I guess let's just start there because that's the newest news. What does losing Seth Jones and uh, I guess Cam Atkinson for a smaller period, two to three weeks, if I remember correctly, uh, what does that kind of what where should where should we expect you know those minutes to go, and what kind of difficulties does losing Jones and to a lesser degree Atkinson uh, kind of present for the Jackets?
0: Yeah, this is so. It's been an insane season, and I will. Caveat all of this by saying every time. I mean, at one point they had eleven of their season starters out of the lineup due yep. to injury this year, um, and every time we say "Oh, psh, there's no way," <laughs> I mean <Yeah>. that's <laughs> when this team comes back and strings together like five wins. So it's 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 crazy. But I also think it's important to respect the losses. And I mean, you mentioned Cam Atkinson; he has not had a huge year points total wise, but Cam Atkinson was out for a while earlier this year. It's the same ankle that um, got retweaked. And we kind of know this, right? I mean, everyone who's ever had a sprained ankle, you know, it's really hard to heal fully and it it can come back at the slightest tweak. Um, He's going to be a loss, not just offensively, but he's a huge part of their penalty kill, which has been so successful, Um, which takes us to Seth Jones. I mean, Seth Jones is just One of my big holy grails, back to our analytics conversation, is is really understanding defensive play. We don't do a good job of understanding it. And Seth Jones is just so good there. He's playing literally close to half of a game every night, so there's going to be minutes to replace. There's going to be power play minutes to replace, penalty count minutes to replace. It's going to be a big ask on his usual partner, Zach Wierenski. Those two have played together more than any other pairing since Zach entered the league 4 years ago. So, um, this is time for Zach to step up because Jones has been the responsible defenseman, active offensively, big on the transition game. He's just he's just such a key part and I think off the ice too, he's he's got a calm demeanor. He has a confidence to him. He can settle this group down. The, the opportunity there is like I said for Zach and that, you know, we saw unfortunately Zach makes an error in overtime against Tampa Bay earlier this yeah. week because Zach hasn't historically started over time. Mm-hmm. So we saw Seth Jones go through that learning process earlier this year as well. So I think that the silver lining is that Zach Wierenski learns even more what it means to be a top, the top defenseman yeah. on the team, but it's really going to be, have to be response by committee. And it would be really important if uh, Ryan Murray or even Dean Cooken two defenders who have been out with injury, if either one of them can return before the end of the season, that would be a massive help to this blue line.
1: Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. And it's it's interesting, too, because you look at the Jackets, it's been, you know, just from a pure goals allowed, which is, you know, obviously has its faults. But I mean, by some accounts, the Jackets have been the best defensive team in hockey. And, yes. you know, so. I, you know, I guess you wonder, like, you know, there's going to have to be a committee approach. But, you know, is there are we going to maybe see the Jackets even double down further on the, you know, kind of style of play in terms of, you know, being aggressive defensively and kind of pushing out through the neutral zone, which is something I think you talked about in the in in your uh, in the conference a little bit about the Jackets uh, penalty kill, you know, is mm-hmm. is very good about kind of being aggressive. So do, do you think that. You know, it's good to be one of those where they have to even double down further when you lose someone like Jones, or is it, is there a kind of a different way forward you see for them?
0: (laughs) I don't know if they can do any more. They've been in the the top three in terms of controlling shot quality against top three of the league all season. I mean, it's just, it really is incredible what they've managed to do. I think uh, to your point though, the focus is going to have to sustain. It's a hard way to play. So they have to keep playing that way and, and play that way consistently. Um, Goaltending is going to have to step up even more. It's been great, but it can't falter now. Nope. Uh, the key, <laughs> the key hope that the Blue Jackets have is that their defensive approach runs through every player. It's not just an ask of the blue line. So the forwards come back. They have that aggressive forecheck. They have that aggressive backcheck. So fortunately the defense doesn't have to come completely from someone yep. who's quote unquote listed as a defenseman.
1: No, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, 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 cause I know I've seen a few games in person with the jackets. Uh, there's been a, a few players that have, I think really, if, if you were to paint a picture at the start of the year of how do the jackets, you know, be the top wild card team. I think a lot of that story starts with uh, Pierre Luc Dubois kind of becoming a number one center. And, uh, you know, at least it seems to me from what I've seen that he's kind of done that before our eyes. So, what is? Do you think he's 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 there in terms of a, like a pure? I, I hate using the quote number one center, but it right. seems like he's taken a step forward this year. You know, what is? Have you noticed that? Is there something like that he's doing differently? Like, what are your kind of thoughts in terms of uh, what what Pierre Luc and how he's developed and everything?
0: Yeah, it's and I've said this a couple times. I, John Tortorella will say that du, Dubois is still a little bit inconsistent, and mm-hmm. I think that that's fair. Um, he has not always been solid on the dot, um, even this year. But to me, Pierre Luc Dubois was the case study for the post-Panarin Blue Jackets because he was the only player who had ever only played with Artemi Panarin, and yep. so if anyone was going to feel an impact, it was going to be him. And his game has elevated. Uh, To your point, in my opinion, I think that he really took it seriously this offseason, what the ask was of him. He has added a physicality to his game. He has added a confidence to his game in the sense that he will move his way through other teams to get the puck where he wants it to go. He will demand his scoring chance versus maybe waiting for it to develop. I think that he is, barring any major change or setback, he really is well on his way to being a number one center in the NHL.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. So, um, final big question here about uh, Columbus. You guys are, or Columbus is uh, three points uh, ahead of Carolina, interestingly enough. That's uh, <laughs> crazy. This, yeah, which is, which is nuts. What? if If at the end of the year, we're saying Columbus, you know, was in managed to wrap up you know, a playoff spot, and Carolina is looking on the inside out, how did uh, what happened in these last you know twenty or so games that really helped keep Columbus in that kind of position? You know, is there because uh, I, I I look at Carolina and I'm baffled by it because you look at basically every metric, and they should be. Not only a playoff team, but one of the better teams in hockey. But here we are, you know, a Columbus team with, you know, that's been battling injuries all year is three points ahead of them. So, you know, what if, if at the end of the year, like I said, Columbus is ahead of Carolina, how did, how did that happen?
0: <laughs> I, I, I honestly don't know. <laughs> um, but it,
1: Me neither. It
0: is funny. It is funny. Carolina has been that team for a while now, right? Yes. Even when they weren't making it into the playoffs, we were all like, but they're still really good. Look yes. at this and look at this. <laughs> Um, they're in a bit of a a bad stretch right now. The loss of Dougie Hamilton is obviously huge for them. Um, and, and I haven't read, um, I always read everything that our Sarah Sivian writes about the hurricanes, but, uh, I know she just put a piece up today about maybe some of the struggles they're going through. They have to adjust to bringing Justin Williams back in the lineup. That can be a thing too. Um, yeah. But they do have all the pieces, and Columbus had just—I mean, this stretch here right before All-Star break that kind of continued until recent, of just win after win after win on the on the shoulders of really Elvis Merzlikens, yeah. followed by the defense um, that will have been the difference. Is is those two sides of the Blue Jackets game stepping up because offensively the Jackets have really been been middle of the road. Um, their yep. shooting percentage has been really low. Uh, they can't really score a ton. Um so I think it'll be an interesting just theory for once on does defense win championships or does offense win championships.
1: Yeah. No 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 I think I think it's going to be interesting kind of see going forward. Um you obviously see a bit of the other teams of the metro so is there been another team really in there that you think is really stuck out and it's okay. If your answer is Pittsburgh, because I think that would be mine.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think, you know, Pittsburgh is interesting for a lot of the same reasons that Columbus is and that they've dealt with so much adversity and still managed to perform. I, I, you know, Washington was my preseason pick for the top of the division. I I continue to believe that that cup win has now given them the mental freedom to play to as good as they are without the stress of it. Um, Standing out in a bad way, who would have thought the Devils, man? I I really didn't see that coming. (laughs) Um, Honestly, the one I'm most – anyone – all these little teams in the middle right now, everybody has a shot. It could be any of of those teams making it in. But I'm really interested to see how the Islanders fare. I don't think that this is the same team as we've seen historically. They have had some injuries. They've got another one now. So how they finish out – again kind of a similar model to columbus that's that might be the most intriguing for me because obviously columbus wants to make the postseason but i think in hindsight now barring some major catastrophe for this group to have done what they did with the injuries with everything else um this is a successful season for columbus uh right now as it is
1: yeah and uh as as columbus would know uh all you need to do is get in (laughs) And uh, anything, anything can happen because hockey is a weird and random sport that I happen to love. Um, So, Allison, this has been great. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry.
0: Oh, no, I was just agreeing with you for sure.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So... also this has been great um real quick i want to encourage all of our listeners to uh i'm going to do a bit of marketing on behalf of the athletic it's great (laughs) (laughs) people should subscribe it is i think easily the best money i spend every month uh and really you just look at the quality of writers uh not only on the nhl side but just really throughout everything you know it's I think The Athletic has kind of the depth of writers and, you know, of not just what Don LeCision is doing, but just the sheer, you know, quantity and quality of all the kind of, uh, you know, pieces that they do. And I think a lot of the writers think about the game in a really different and interesting way. So, you know, that's my that's my plug. People should subscribe. Uh, But Allison, this has been great. Uh, Anything else uh, you want to plug or anything like that?
0: No, I just thank you for having me back on and thanks for coming to the conference. It's I, I've talked with the show before and it's always fun to talk with you
1: guys. No, absolutely, absolutely. All right, and uh, if you enjoyed this episode of Japers Rink Radio, please rate, write, subscribe, and review. Um, next week, we have a super special guest that I am going to announce at a later point. Um, but uh, yeah, so uh, stay tuned and i uh, look forward to talking to you next week.